May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be free from harm. May all beings love life. May all beings awaken. Welcome to another Cuke Audio podcast. I'm D.C. Puba of Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives, preserving the legacy of Shunju Suzuki and those whose paths cross his. And anything else that comes to mind. I pray that you and yours are safe and comfortable, free from economic hardship, and able to get out and do whatever it is you want within the limitations of the universal precept of do as little harm as possible. So today our guest is Rick Morton, brother of Jim Morton, who was um, our guest last week. Rick came to Zen Center and... 1966 at Sokoji. He uh, went to Japan later in about 74. And what he does now is uh, fine uh, furniture, uh, restoration, refinishing, and finishing. And uh, so um, he had quite an interesting experience uh, in Japan and in America. So uh, let's hear what uh, Rick has to say about all that after we've had our pause to meditate. Oh, one thing, um, the uh, first minute or so of talking to Rick uh, is um, we have lost. And that was my fault, and I apologize for that. It is lost forever, and there's nothing that we can do about it. So it just starts right in, in the middle of us talking, but at a nice starting point. So when you hear the bell, hit pause if you're of such a mind and meditate or whatever for as long as you wish. And when you're through, hit unpause. And we'll be here to hit the bell to end the meditation or whatever, and uh, we'll give Rick Morton, a call. You're sitting with uh, Steve Stuckey's old group there in San Rafael, and and what you yeah. say? What'd you say the new name was? MZM Med- Marin Zen Meditation. Yeah, and it used to be. It used to be Dharma Eye. Yeah, that was that was Steve's name for it. Yeah, why did they change it? They changed it because uh, people didn't like the name very much. Mm-hmm. We didn't. Oh, the people never liked the name that much, and um, we thought that something like uh, Marin Zen Meditation would be better and kind of a more easy name to accept for people that didn't know anything about Zen. Yeah, easy to find. Easy to find. Yeah, Uh, you said the teacher there now is Carol Paul. That's correct. And Christine Palmer retired to be a grandmother. You said, ah, yeah. Retired a year ago, at least. Hmm. Maybe it's longer. Maybe it's two years. 
Mm. You know, you know, time goes by when you're 78 years old. Yeah, yeah. Six six months is like a day. And and wh- where are you right now? That when we're talking, I am in my office, which is in Sausalito, California, and my office is it's um. Uh, my office has been, well, it's, it's like a study, really. It's more, you know, it's got a Zafu, it's got a ton, it's got sitting cushions, it's got a sofa, it's got a lot of books everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I've been in it. Uh, yeah, you've been in it, yeah. Years ago, 15 years ago or something. Um, well, for, for, for your listeners, uh, for our listeners, I mean, I do... Um, antique restoration and refinishing and finishing and uh, art restoration. And uh, and I did Suzuki Roshi's chair over again. Oh. You know, I'm quite quite happy with that. And they liked it. They YouTubed it and everything with me saying something about it. Oh, and I, I want to get that. I want to get that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it looks good. It, I'm telling you, it looks good. I, I know what I'm doing, you know, because I lived in Japan for three years and when Jim in the seventies and I learned uh Arushi, which is the lacquer Japanese lacquer. Yeah. And then I adapted that to things that I find here, like and in this case it was Suzuki Roshi's chair ceremonial chair he sat in. Mm. So I know exactly what the colors are and I know what the look is and everything. And I was able to keep some of it original and then the parts that needed to be fixed I fixed them up. And to, so it all went together, and um, it looked pretty good. <laughs> it was very cool. Hmm. It's one of my one of my life accomplishments, actually. Wow! Uh, so were you 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 were involved with that chair earlier? Uh, that was about uh, yeah, like maybe um, three years ago. Oh well, I'm no, I'm thinking about like fifty years ago. Oh yeah. Yeah, has it been that long? I thought it was more like twenty, but anyway. Well, no, wait. I'm I'm talking about when Suzuki was alive, and this was is you... the original chair when Suzuki Roshi was alive. Yeah, and we all saw him sitting in this red chair, and he would only use it for um, ceremonies. Yeah, right. You know, like, and um, I don't think he did it for the end of Sashin, though. No, no. But, you know, he did do it when you had to do it. You know, when you had to receive a teacher, you're doing some special thing. Yeah. When you had to receive receiving a guest or, and he had his little whisk, you know, and he would sit in it. And... So did you work on it back then? No, I never touched it back then. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't need work, but by the time it got to me, it wouldn't even hold together and it had cracks and, it, and I had to replace a lot of the lacquer in it. Yeah, and um, I did a real good job. So, it was funny. My my restoration started when I was in 1965. Uh, I was carrying um, a mokugyo across the street at Bush Street to Sekoji, and I and, it, and I dropped it. It it fell off, and it and it kind of smashed on the street. So I glued it and tied it together. And Okusan said, "Very bad, very bad." I was going to the Art Institute then. I didn't know how to put things together, but that would have been the beginning of my <laughs> wow. my my journey into uh, Asian art restoration. Wow. wow, wow! You said you worked with Amruchi. I remember it. It's uh, related. Well, it's not related. It's sort of like Poison Oak. 
It uh, you yeah. got to really be careful working with him. I knew an Arushi guy in Japan, and he always had rashes on his arms. Yeah, well, you always get, you always get it. You know, I got it less than my teacher, which was which was like hilarious to me. But everybody gets everybody that works with it has rashes. You know, you can't really. Then you take it home and you give it to people too. You know, so it's oh, more like poison, poison sumac than poison oak, though. I'm told. Poison oak is more. Poison oak is a lot worse than poison sumac. I've never had poison sumac except you get a lot of little bumps. We had it in Vermont. Mm-hmm. On, oh. On oh, poison but, sumac. It's and and then there's poison ivy in America. Yeah, but but I've heard Arushi. Arushi. Uh, it's called cabuero. 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 Cabuero in Japanese and the, the rash and that's um, I've, it's likened to poison sumac uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. it's a neat, neat material though you know you you know if you go to Japan you really you should visit um, these places that sell lacquer work because it's, it's it's such a it's such a refined artwork that seems to have been refined by the Japanese more than any other country. Uh-huh. They, they took, you know, Chinese things, and then they went f- much further with the China than the Chinese ever did. I mean, there's like there, there are mind David. There's mind blowing things from 400 years ago. You know, I don't, I don't remember the names. Uh, you know, these are Japanese artists. I mean, I mean it is, it's, it's incredible. You know, this is like. This would this would be like Paul Gauguin, you know, or Van Gogh to us, you know, and it's really really powerful and strong and very authentic and original at that time. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, uh, uh, the Japanese suits, the, the the samurai armor is has been is made using Arushi, and the bowls and the hashi. That's that is the chopsticks are all Arushi coated and that's how you get this high sheen black. Uh-huh. Now Arushi, Arushi is a naturally occurring epoxy in, in, in parentheses and, it, and it's after it's refined, but even before it's refined, it dries in 70% humidity. Humidity it doesn't need a catalyst. So you put it in what's called an Arushi bako. That's what it's called in Japan. Bako is a hako for box, you know. Right. So urushi bako, and then that, and that's you coat it with water on the inside, and, and sometimes if you need heat, you put a light bulb in, and that causes the rushi to turn hard. Wow! Wow! You, you don't need a catalyst, but by itself, it turns hard, and when it's hard, it's uh, it is really hard. It's like glass. It's like it's like some kind of mineral, and it can't be redissolved by anything. Really? Oh, that is so interesting. So our bowls, yeah. uh, amongst bowls, uh, uh, the, the, for the uh, uh, orioki set and and the, 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 the hashi, the chopsticks. It's all arushi. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what I remember, I remember the Noto Peninsula up in northern, northern, uh, Northwest Japan was famous for Urushi, right? Uh, there, I, I suppose I don't remember that, David. Actually, but different. Um, 
the different uh, different parts of Japan are famous for different styles of urushi, like oh. kamakura. Like kamakura has this carved, extremely red vermilion. Mm. They make things out of that, and then in Japan, you could also, you know, during the what's called the tsuyu, which is the which is the um, part of the year that it's, it rains all the time. Um, you can get the rushi. You can do outside rushi, like on columns, because it's so humid in in the the, the country of Japan that it will actually harden the rushi. So you can do temple columns outside. You can't you can't do that in the United States anywhere. Ah. I did Suzuki Roshi's. I did all of Suzuki Roshi's bowls about thirty years, forty years ago. Wow! Over again, 30, 30 years ago, and Dick Baker said they looked so much better than they ever looked originally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had, when I was living in Japan, I brought back. I took, I went to an industrial art school, and uh, and I and I brought back a lot of things to work with the Roshi. So uh, I was able to use those, and my and Jim has been sending me things too when he was in Japan. But I have found substitutes for Arushi that look the same too. Really, like but, what? Well, I use a I use an epoxy, and then I color it with my Arushi powders. Mm-hmm. You know, because it dries really hard and it polishes up, just like Arushi does. And I have these polishers from Germany because I. I also did because I because of my experience with Arushi, I got attracted to this uh, this place Roche Bois in the seventies sold all of this high sheen black lacquer kitchens and furniture, and they would get it from Italy. And I didn't know what it was, and they didn't know what it was either. But then I found out that I could use um, stuff called polyester resin. And polyester resin is what they use for Yamaha pianos. Mm-hmm. You know, not Rushi. Because it looks it looks like a Rushi. It, it feels like it, but it doesn't smell like a Rushi. A Rushi has kind of a vegetable smell. It's kind of a beautiful, earthy smell. You know, if I... I mean, I could take a, something, a Rushi, and just put it to my nose, and I can tell it's a Rushi. It's great. <laughs> now, now, is this... If it's hardened Rushi... You can do that? Yeah, you can do that if it's hardened Arushi, if it's new. But if it's like years and years old, I right. don't think it smells bad. Right, right. Now, but, I, I want to clarify something. You say sure. it, it hardens in water? No, it hardens in um, humidity. Uh-huh. Between, 70, between 70 and 90% humidity. That is so interesting. Uh, that is fantastic. It is fantastic. It cement, really will, is. cement will harden in water, but not yeah. many things that do. <laughs> well, Arushi, um, the thing about Arushi is you, if it was wet, Arushi can be diluted. The, 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 the liquid Arushi, you could add water to it, and you can add paint thinner to it. Oh. And it'll still harden. And you could add alcohol to it. I'm not sure about the paint thinner, but... Lacquer thinner will kill it, so you don't want to add lacquer thinner to it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, do you want to talk about something else besides the Rushi? <laughs> oh, well, that's very interesting to me. That's very interesting. Well, I talked to a conservation group about it, you know, and they were quite taken up, you know, 
because we have this Bay Area Art Conservation League, Art Conservation League, and uh, at the museum. So there's a group that gets together, and so I gave a talk for them about that. And oh. after I got back from Japan, when everything was still fresh in my mind. Hmm. Hmm. Um, so what? What what are you doing these days? I mean, what's your schedule like? Well, these days I do furniture repair. I, I got to be pretty good at wood repair. And I do antique furniture repair and I do finishes so that I can do things to look 19th century or 18th century or 17th century or brand new. Yeah. And then I can do contemporary furniture, that like really high sheen furniture. And, you know, it's not that interesting, but it pays... It pays well in Sausalito. I'm like the, the, the one-eyed man in the kingdom of the blind here. Ha <laughs> ha! Yeah, and what's the name of your business? It's called Fine Antique Restoration. Right. Richard right. Richard Morton, Fine Antique Restoration. Uh-huh. Let's just say Fine Antique Restoration. Wow. And I got a, a five-star review on Yelp, so it helps a lot in getting business. Wow. Wow, that is really interesting. Uh, you said you're teaching art or something somewhere? I teach furniture uh, finishing and restoration on Saturday, and I have an art class on Sunday, It's but it, I don't teach it. It's just all us artists get together, and we have a model. It's li- life drawing. Oh. You know, we either have a guy or a girl. And, and uh, these people are all... These are not voyeurs, you know. These are people that are committed to drawing and and expressing themselves through with themselves and through to others through artwork. So, and then I started uh, doing that in 1988, and it's gone on continually. And we had to take a year and a half off because of COVID, but mm. we're back into the back into the swing of it now again. Hmm. Hmm. Because mm. I'm doing it every other week now instead of every single blessed week. It's hard to get the shop cleaned up for it. Oh, so it's done not, at your shop. Yeah, that's what I, you know, I have to clean. I, my shop has to be transformed into an art, into an atelier. And I do a good job at it. I've had a lot of experience. Wow. And uh, I got it cleaned up with the table circulating, the model stand, and, um, you know, we have a good lighting and stuff. So, so uh, that happens on Sunday between eleven and two o'clock. Now, wait a minute. You said the circulating model stand. I said I didn't say anything about circulating. Oh, I misunderstood. I, I had the picture of the no, model no, no, going no, I around. Table, I have tables cir- circling. The model stand. Oh, you have table circling the model stand. All right, yes. all right. Model now I get it. Goes up against a wall, and then there's drapery hanging down, and then actually, when I had the Suzuki Roshi chair, we used that for a, a prop one time, and I have a picture of that, but I can't show it to anybody. <laughs> but <laughs> I have a picture of that with a model on it. And oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. That's wow. Wow. We know each other through the San Francisco Zen Center. And I think I, I came in 66, and you were already there, I think. Yeah, I came just as soon as I got over. I came from Vermont in um, the summer of 65. And in 66, Rob Gove took me on the bus to Sokoji. 
and he's the one that introduced me to it. Rob Govis, as you know, he's uh, he's also a, a mar- uh, artist in marble, and he went to Carrara, Italy. I don't know where he is now, though. I've heard of him. I think he's still there. Oh. So anyway, he's the one that brought me to Zen Center. Yeah. Uh, Originally. I was in touch with him like 10 years ago. And he was there because of working with the fine marble. Yeah, what an interesting guy. Wow, yeah. very intense. I'd like to see some of his stuff now. Um, I I think I have some of it on Cuke.com. Oh, um, uh-huh. I'll, I'll, I'll check it out and yeah. send it to you. Or you can always go there, go to Cuke.com and just write uh, Gove, G-O-V-E, or Rob Gove in the site search box. And whatever there is for him will come up. Uh, but I'll try to remember it. How do you spell yeah. is it? Uh, cuke? C-U-K-E. K-E, like cuke, like cucumber. Okay, cuke.com. Right, right. Um, so uh, so you came there via the San Francisco Art Institute, as many people did. Oh, uh, I wouldn't say many. So many people. A bunch of us. Oh, did. Yeah. Really? Oh, look, man, I can read you. I've got a list of people on Cuke.com. You know, uh, you know, I was at a drawing class at the Art Institute, and in came Suzuki Roshi with, in came Rob Gove with Suzuki Roshi. He brought him there, and Suzuki Roshi had his little square brown hat on, and he looked around and grinned at people. He didn't say anything. <laughs> they, and they were, huh. they took him to the patio and showed him around a little bit. I didn't talk with anybody. I don't didn't find out anything about that. Why he brought him over? But anyway, he did come over. Huh, huh, huh. I when I first came to San Francisco, uh, before I was involved with Zen Center, I'd go to the Art Institute to eat and smoke pot. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, I don't didn't smoke pot there, but I did eat a lot though. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't too, um, much of a, wasn't too much of a pot smoker. Sometimes I would smoke, the people around couldn't believe it, but I would smoke hash because it enabled me to go to bed early so I could get up to take my bicycle to Sokoji and I'd have to ride through the Broadway Tunnel. But, I mean, that's the kind of thing you can do when you're only in your early 20s. <laughs> yeah, wow. And that's how I got there. <laughs> wow. On a bicycle at five in the five in the morning to get there at five thirty. What were you living like over near the Art Institute? Yeah, twenty two forty four A Mason Street. It's only like tw- three four blocks from the Art Institute. Hmm. Wow. And uh, so, uh, so Rob, Rob uh, took you there. So, how did that work out? Well. Well, I mean, obviously it worked out because I stayed, but... Well, what what happened? What was your experience when you went there? With the, with, the, with first, Rob or with... Uh, the, <laughs> first time you, you go to Sokoji. I, uh, I actually can't remember. What, I mean, I, the first time I went uh, for 5.30 p.m. Zazen, and I don't remember the first time I sat at all, but... I do remember, you know, sitting and getting instruction from Katagiri, and I remember a lot about, I don't remember my very first day I got there, I'll tell you that, 
you know, I had so much stuff going on and everything in my life then. And it was all uh-huh. all brand new too. Yeah. But I got I I started got, I got right into it. I would I immediately made a commitment to start going in the morning. And I've been sitting ever since. Yeah. Can you imagine yeah. that? Just like, yeah. Just like yeah. a lot of us, you know. Oh, well, about when was that when you first went? Do you remember? Well, yeah, it was, um, it was, uh, of course, this is, of course this California has only one big season, but it would have been um, in the fall time of 1966. Oh, that's when I came. Yeah, hmm. it would have been about the same time as you came. I, I yeah. you know I came because without getting into why I started sitting and all of that stuff, but I, I I did start. I had an LSD experience like a lot of people did, and um, I was so you know I had no idea, I had no experience coming from in, in Vermont. You know I wasn't anything mystical or Asian or anything like that. And but I said I got I have to find out more about this. So I went to the yoga med the the uh this yoga store that sold yoga books on uh, eastern books on yoga and I can't remember the name of it, you know and Fields. It was uh it was on Powell Street. Rick sent me an email after this uh, and said it's the metaphysical bookstore and it sold books oh. on meditation and things like that. And then I called, he told, gave me somebody to call, and she said, well, I said, I want to come and medit- learn meditation. She said, well, here, everybody's really old. They're all in their 40s, but not me. She said, if you want to, why don't you get a younger group? And she gave me the Zen Center's name, Zen Center's number. You know, and then mm. that's how I did, and that's how I found out about Zen Center. That's the first time I found out about it. And um, mm. and then, um, you know, and then somehow I connected with Rob Gove, who was a student there at the time anyway. So we, yeah. went, we went together on, on the bus. Yeah, he, he was a very serious student. He was like, uh, uh, when I started going there, he was one of the sort of... Uh, people who sort of was an example, like in on uh, Saturdays when we had, uh, you know, that work period where we cleaned up, he'd be the eager beaver setting an example and helping other people. And well, he was like uh, him, him. Him and Bill Kwong were like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Rob, Rob did a lot of that stuff. He was very serious, though. <clears throat> Yes, he was. No, he was. He was really, really <laughs> too serious, really. But I guess he had his reasons. Yeah. Well, it's just his character. It's just his character, you know? yeah. Yeah, very intense guy. Yeah. Uh, beautiful work. Um, so, um, this. Um, do you remember the first time you met Suzuki? Well, when you came, Suzuki was in Japan. Uh, so. You started sitting when, when he was in Japan. And, oh, I did. I yeah, did. he was in Japan in the fall of '66. Uh, well, that's that's probably why I, the, that's probably why I re, I the earliest thing is getting instruction from Katagiri. 
Tom right. Lee, you right. Know, who was my first, he would have been my first mentor, and Cottagari was very, a lovable guy and easy to relate to, and very yeah. all in all of us, and you know, so mm. that's how I started. And when Suzuki Roshi came back, he, he was he was a little more leader, standoffish. You know, it, like Katagiri would just kind of, kind of pitch in and start talking with everybody. It was very friendly, and 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 and, mm. and Suzuki Roshi would be a little more detached from. Uh, yes, and his English wasn't that good either at first. You know, you had to speak really show, uh, slow. You know, and Pat Hershoff was the guide at that time, and she did a lot of stuff with him. And you know, and we'd ask questions, you know, really fast, and then she would have us ask it a lot slower, and then she kind of say it to Suzuki Roshi in English that he could understand. Ah, uh, ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, do you remember when you first met him? I can't remember the first time I met him. I remember the first time I talked with him. I remember my first dokusan during the session. Yeah. I was uh, having a horrible time trying to decide um, uh, what to do about my... Um, getting married and I had met Carolyn and you know and I said well you know I'm in such a kind of a dilemma that I feel like I can't even sit anymore what to do about it whether you know whether to stay here and be an artist or go to Tassajara he said I, I said I don't know what to do and he said that's because you're not there yet <laughs> and he gave me a real long time. It was like 20 minutes, you know, and he even drew a big circle on, on a piece of paper. And he said, you're here and you have, you, you have to travel all the way around the circle until you get to the back of it. <laughs> huh. And I still don't know what he meant by that. <laughs> but I do remember him telling me, though. Mm. But that's the first uh, dokusan I can remember having with him. So what resulted from it? Well, what resulted is that I did wind up going to Tassajara, and I did wind up um, say, seeing Carolyn when I came back, uh, you know, and she was still going to the Art Institute. And then eventually, Carolyn came to Tassajara, too. Mm. But she'll tell you all about it if you... If you talk to her, she has her own. Yeah, I'm talking to her tomorrow. She's got her own um, experience. It's very interesting too. Yeah. Um, well, when did you get married? I got married. Uh, I was the first person to ever get married at Tassajara with Carolyn, and and. Um, oh, is that right? Yeah, so I was there, probably. Yeah. You were there. We were the first. Uh, we were the first couple. Lou Richmond was there playing the. Uh, he had a, uh, like an organ you know, keyboard, and he was playing that, and everybody got so drunk. I, I, David, I can't remember the year, you know, whether it was like, let's see, what would it have been? You know, could it have been like 72, something like that, but Carol was... No, Suzuki wasn't alive in 72. He wasn't? No, he died in December of 71. Okay. 
Okay, so uh, your marriage, your marriage was more like uh, sixty-nine or seventy. Yeah, okay. I think you all get married there before Ed Brown, uh, and Meg got married. I, th I think it was the same summer. I think it was seventy. Yeah, but we were Carol and I were the first to get married then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had a our cake was this huge lotus. It was a huge lotus cake. You know, it was outside and people were eating on it, and everybody's walking around, and there was a bunch of sake and everything. And Suzuki Roshi came over when we were. I didn't really think too much of it. I, he must have had some sake. He said he was talking about having some wisdom water. And then he was talking to a, a few of us standing next to me, and uh, he said, well, this is why, <laughs> you know, people drink, but then they realize they have to still, it's not going to save them from anything, and they, and then they turn to Zazen, something like mm -hmm. that, you know. But I was thinking ever since that he must have had a couple of nips of, of sake because he was going around talking about wisdom water. <laughs> I got, you know, uh. we got married, you know, and uh, he said, don't be so serious <laughs> to me. Uh -huh. I was looking grim, you know, because I was feeling grim about that. We were sitting down in Cesar and he was talking to everybody. Mm. You know, I was still under mm. a lot of stress then and strain, you know, because I hadn't really decided... You know, I was still had ideas of other kinds of things I could do with my life and everything. But, you know, my life pulled me along that way. Mm. And I went mm. along with it. In fact, I had to ask Suzuki for, for permission. And I didn't ask him for permission. I said, what do you think I should do? And, and uh, he suggested just getting married. I said, okay. And then he grinned and said, you'll do it? <laughs> uh. So I think it's the only thing that I ever, almost one of the few things I remember being, making him happy that I did. He, he always avoided huh. talking to me. I always wanted to talk to him. You know, he talked to other people, but he wouldn't talk to me. Ah, that's a compliment. Yeah, you, I know, I heard. You, I think you said that one time. But, uh, you know, and I still remember that, too. He, and I was always, like, trying to seek him out and, think, and you know, he would always avoid me. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I suppose ah. you could call it a compliment. <laughs> it's sort of a compliment yeah. in a way, but it didn't make me feel good at the time. Huh. I mean, it wouldn't huh. be, he didn't, it's not that he wouldn't talk to me if I had, you know, I would make, if I made an appointment with him or I went to see him or something like that, which I did all the time. It's just that he wouldn't talk to me extemporaneously outside if we were working around each other, working together. Well, he didn't like to talk when he was working. Yeah, I know, but he talked to other people, you know. He, he always talked. He talked to my brother. He talked to Peter. He, he talked to uh, David, not David, David, but Peter Snyder. And, you know, but he, he always seemed to avoid me. I guess he had his reasons. That's, um, uh, like I said, that's a compliment. That means he was, he was taking you seriously. Yeah, because I told him one time that I felt like quitting, but I didn't. I said, I just felt like leaving, but I didn't. He said, that's very significant. Mm. Use that word. Mm. You know, so mm. I remember a lot of stuff he said, because when I sit, you know, his, those things that he said keep coming back to me. 
Well, I'm sick. Like what? I don't know. <laughs> like, like everything. <laughs> well, do you like, have some examples? Uh, well, if I, could, if I could think about it enough, I could think of examples, you know. You mean like, like these days, uh, when you're working or w when you're sitting or walking somewhere, you remember things he said. Yeah, mostly I remember what he said when I'm when I'm sitting or right after I'm sitting. Then stuff that he said to me comes back to me, or or stuff he just said to us too. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. One time he said uh, during my shuso the shuso ceremony, he told me. Uh, I said, I don't know what to do, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to decide. And he said, you, he said, you're always, he said, don't, I've always told you, don't try and manage the small self. And, and then he said, you know, I have, he said, I, I, he said, someday you'll understand what it is to like just one thing. He said, I, I like one thing, it's hard candy. <laughs> <laughs> it's very. It was very enigmatic then, and it's very enigmatic now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was a shosan ceremony. Shusan. Not shuso. Shosan. Shosan ceremony at the end of session. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Don't yeah. try to manage the small self. Mm. Yeah. 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 And then one time I went to. Uh, I did go to. During the, one of my Matokasans, he said, you know, because I was sitting and I was, and my my legs were really hurting, but and I, when they hurt so much, I would just move, and then I would start sitting again. So, but I could see my mind just like going crazy, but it it seemed to detach itself, and it was like I was able to let it spin off, like itself, you know. And then I went to I went to the say I went to a Dokusan and he. He sat for a long time with his eyes shut, closed. You know, I was thinking. He said, "Well, maybe you're trying to keep your back straight, but you you need to keep your suit, your mudra soft." And I said, "I was thinking, how does he know that with his eyes closed?" And and then he said, uh, "He told me I had made a lot of progress, and and something." He said, "You have something that nobody can take away from you." It's kind of a funny way to put it, you know. Why would anybody? Why would you even think about somebody taking it away from you? And I, you know, and I didn't. And then he said, "Well, sometimes you know, if you're sitting, this is during the session." He said, "Well, you know, maybe during you know, for a few moments, few minutes or seconds during, it'll be, it might happen to you in the morning. You'll have real practice." Mm. So, but you know, I didn't have real practice. But but actually, I feel. Now, you know, after all these years, I do feel like I have an understanding that I didn't have back then. Because back then I was always like, I had kind of a agenda. I was always trying to accomplish something or get or make myself feel better somehow. And, you know, and my brother had his experiences and, you know, and he would talk. You know, people really shouldn't talk about their experiences, I think. But, you know, they do. And. And you want to hear about them, you know. So I felt like things should be happening to me, and, and since they didn't, I was was depressed. And I wanted something to happen that would change my life, and it didn't, you know. Mm. He said one time. <laughs> he said one time. He said, "Well, you know your problems." I said, "Maybe I just want something to happen that'll make my problems disappear by like magic." This is what I before I got married, and I was going through this dilemma, you know, whether I should get married or not. And, 
He said, well, they do disappear like by, by magic, like magic. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. I was mm. my problems have disappeared by, like magic by, by by magic, but I, you know, things he said then that seemed so obtruse now seem understandable, really. Yeah, and acceptable, you know. And I and really I do understand. I mean, I don't know that everybody does this, but I, I have a feeling for things that Dogen is saying, you know, about only keeping your. That that enlightenment and practice is keeping your posture right, you know. And, you know, sometimes people have a hard time with that, but I don't, you know. Hmm. Because one yeah. time Suzuki, Suzuki Roshi said one time that here's something he said one time he he um, he went to Japan and then he came back after that Japanese art uh, artist had committed suicide. I mean, you know, and then he came back after that and was talking about it. He said when he before he came to America, he thought that um, he was worried that he did the Amer- he was wondering what kind of problems that Americans were going to have, and he said they didn't have problems with wanting to accrue possessions. You know, he didn't they didn't have a problem with that, but what they did have a problem with that that is us. Is trying to uh, have it, we had a gains we had a what is it called gain seeking mind or something like that or what was that expression he used way seeking mind no 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 it, it involved gain gaining idea he gaining would say idea. we had a gaining we had, idea we had a strong gaining idea in the United States he said that yeah. was more of a problem than going without food or 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 trying to live simply, you know, you know. Yeah. Um, that that was our particular problem, he said. Yeah. Oh, that's that's interesting. That's well said. Right. Yeah. The gaining idea. Gaining idea. That that makes a lot of a lot, that. I feel like I understand that more now, and it and it makes what Dokin says a lot more understandable too. If you. A lot of what a lot of things of what teachers are saying is they're just trying to get people not to have such a strong gaining idea, or if you have a gaining idea, just not to be so faithful to it. Uh huh. Uh huh. That's well said. <laughs> yeah, um, the idea of gaining enlightenment, especially, or the idea of repeating, regaining some peak experience. I. He was really big on that. People would have some peak experience, and, you know, he'd acknowledge it, and or, but he might just say, well, how's your work going? No, oh, very nice. Yeah, he would try and get us, you know, that, that's, that's, you know, the kind of way people thought, you know. And yeah, yeah. You know, David, I was going to mention, um, have you, you, you have talked about that incident with John Snyder, didn't you? before John Steiner John Steiner yeah yeah go on go on 1969 I was in the the Zendo at that time you know let's hear about it all right so so we're all sitting and people are asking questions and uh, they're asking and this is when the the marches are going on in Berkeley about the Vietnam War and um 
you know, people are kind of asking questions. And then John Steiner, who was sitting up close to the ton, said, well, what should we do about the war, about about uh, demonstrating and trying to stop the war? And he leapt off the ton, and, and he kind of smiled because we were all smiling, and his smile reflected our smile. Our smile reflected his smile. His smile reflected our smile. Because we thought he was joking. So we were grinning. So he started grinning as he jumped off the ton. And then they started hitting John uh, Steiner all over the place. Now, you said he hit his ear, but he didn't hit his ear. And he he just hit him on, on all the you know. And he started yelling at him, and he said, Do you think that I don't care about the... <laughs> it's causing me to break up. He said, Do you think I don't care about the Vietnam people? <clears throat> That's what he called them. He said, yeah. And then he sort of, he sat down again. He was like, he was very intense. I've never seen him do that. I've never seen him be that dynamic with a group or intense and, and actually leap off. I mean, I tell you, he leaped. This is like a, like a, a puma jumping off a cliff onto John Steiner. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was, a, it was so fast and so spontaneous that it just kind of was like, all I could do was gasp and, and then he, I think he sat down again, and he said, "The war, yeah, because he did, because he said the war is right here on this tatami." Mm. You know, pe- people now feel like, <clears throat> including at Zen Center, including in Vermont, uh, everywhere, they feel like that. But Suzuki Oroshi's idea was not that we should be socially liberal; we should be progressive in a social sense, because. Because he was all about getting, having us understand the Dharma and understand Zazen. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a uh, a peace march that day in San Francisco, and he went to it. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Well, I can't remember the that. Pe- yeah. People took him to it. Yeah. And uh, what uh, the way it happened was uh, because I've heard about this from many, many people. And you've, you've uh, shed new light on it. You've said, but that, that's very interesting. Um, Ron Browning was standing in back, and Ron Browning was very, very intensely, uh, in, you know, interested in stopping the war in Vietnam. And he asked, why are we here Uh doing this when we should be out there protesting against the war. And Suzuki didn't understand him. And then John repeated oh. what Ron said. Oh, what he okay. said, Roshi, oh. was, why are we here doing this <laughs> Doing this when yeah. we should be protesting the war? But he also and then said, what, he made a, into a question, too. He said, like, what, what, what should we do about it? That's what I was... Yeah, yeah, right. He, he added that. And, uh, and I think that the way I remember it is that at that point is when Suzuki Roshi leapt off. I didn't know he had so much strength in him. You know, like a cat can jump up, you know, in 10 feet in the air. I mean, he just... He jumped up off the ton. <laughs> yeah. You know, all of this energy in him... He had something to say about it. You know, afterwards, he told John Steiner, he said, you know, that brought up to me all my frustration that I experienced during the war in Japan. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and 
he said, people say, he said, how do you expect to stop the war or something if you don't even know how to tie your own shoes? Do you remember that? <laughs> I don't remember him saying that. <laughs> <laughs> He could have said, uh, that's, not, that's one of, not one of the things. I, this is a long time ago, you know, so I don't remember. Yeah, but yeah, do, well, you, know. you did add some things uh, uh, that nobody has said that are really good. Um, he, incidentally, he, 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 at one point, not, not, not at that time, he said, that he thought there would always be war, but that we should always do whatever we can to stop it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know. Um, yeah, sure. But, you know, he had to go through the, the whole war in Japan without being able to stop it at all. He, he, said, one, he said one time he was, one time he was a, a young monk in Japan, and that's when Japan was in Mongolia, Manchuria, and... He said he was carrying um, a stick. Maybe I don't know whether it was a stick that people use for the uh, Kiyosako or something like that. He said he, he held it up like a rifle, and the whole Zendo broke into laughing. And he said, after that, I was very... Um, he felt really bad about... It, ashamed of himself and felt bad. You know, he felt like he had let down his ancestors and his parents and everybody and his teacher by doing that stunt. Oh, he, interesting. He wasn't, he wasn't rebuked by the teacher. He just, after he did that, he felt ashamed of himself. Mm-hmm. He said, well, what else occurs to you, please? Yeah. He said, I, he said, I was very angry with the Japanese people during the Second World War. He said, I knew, I knew we were going to lose, he said, because we weren't serious enough. Now, isn't that a kind of a funny thing to say? <clears throat> he didn't think they were serious enough. <clears throat> yeah, well. And then he said, he, one time he saw, he said, we don't have enough sense of our genia, our ancestry, you know, who came before us, our grandfathers and great-grandfathers. He said, he, he said that's, that was one thing that Japanese had that we didn't have, that Asian people had that we didn't have that could help us. And he said, because one time he was in, he said, you know how I know is because I was watching these Americans in a Jeep, American soldiers in a Jeep, and they stopped at a traffic stop, and they all look really depressed. <laughs> so, you know, and he felt like that's because they didn't have an, a clear idea where they were coming from in, in their lives. Hmm. Hmm. And their re relations and their... Um, Posterity, uh, not posterity. What's the word? Ancestry. A ancestry, but I mean recent ancestry. You know, like uh, you know, like their father. Lineage. Lineage. Lineage is the word I'm looking for. Is that they didn't have? We didn't. We don't have an idea of our lineage the way that the the way that his the Japanese did. Well, you know, in Japan, uh, uh, make. Making offerings to your ancestors is a big deal. Yeah. And a memorial. Yeah, I, had, I had a French teacher from the Congo. He was from the Congo, and that was only uh, like that was about 15 years ago. 
And I asked him about the ancestors. He said, when he's a Christian, oh, no, he was a Mohammed, Muslim, Muslim, he called himself a Muslim. And I said, what about yeah. ancestors, ancestor worship? Ancestors? He said, well, ancestors for us are, you always know they're there. That there's always a presence of your ancestors in your life. Mm. This, is, this is a guy from Africa. But, no, I don't mm. know if these feel like that, but it is... It's something. It's a way that we don't feel in America. Most of most of us don't, anyway. Mm. Too much, anyway. Mm. Well, um, how did your um, your uh, path progress at the Zen Center? I mean, I, I know you 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 came there and uh, you ended up at at Tassajara pretty early. How long were you at Tassajara? Um, you know, I was only there for a year and a half. <laughs> Uh-huh. With Carolyn. Um, Carolyn was there. I was there by myself for the first two training periods. And then Carolyn, and with my brother, too, with Jim Morton. And and then Carolyn came for another training period. She was there for at least one training period. But I, we might have been there for several training periods. Yeah, but but I think all in all, I would only spend a year and a half there. But you know, it was a very formative year and a half for me. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, we went and lived. Uh, we left Tassajara and we lived next to uh, Page Street for uh, uh, you know, and then for a, a few years or a couple of years, I don't remember how much time, and then. Um, and then uh, Ethan was born there. That's why I guess that's. And then we, then we moved to Japan when Ethan was pregnant again. I mean, with Carolyn was pregnant again. And um, can you imagine doing that? Japanese said only Americans will do something like that. <laughs> and, and then Carol and then <laughs> Anne was born at in Kyoto when we were mm. living in Kyoto. Our, our daughter. Mm. They called her An An Chan. Hmm. Oh, so we're, what, what were you asking me before? So I, I was Tasa Sahara and we went to, um, and I lived on, well, actually, I forgot. You know, we we lived in Page Street for about, for I don't know how long. It might have been quite a while, for a couple of years, two or three years. And and then um, when I when Carolyn was there and Jim was there, and, uh, and I started working at this cabinet shop, where I learned my trade that I use right now. And we'd go on our motor scooters from um, Page Street to um, Lombard Street, Lombard and Laguna. That's where where the shop was on Lombard. Yeah. yeah. So, so that went on for five years, you know. And we left Page Street because Carolyn was pregnant and, and so... We got a we got an apartment next next door, and then Ethan was born at that time, and then after uh, about three years, we went to Japan. And Jim had been there, and I was just had been working for five years, and I couldn't stand it anymore. I, I really couldn't. I mean, five years working five to six days a, a week, eight hours a day too, was plenty for me. And where did you work? Yeah. Hang on just a second, hey, Dave. Yeah. Who's that? It's just a phone. Hello? Bob, yeah, I'm still on the phone right now with, with David, so I'll 
I'll call you back or or call me in maybe half hour. Okay, thanks. Bye. Okay, sorry, Dave. So what were you saying? Uh, that's an interesting phone ring. Yeah, it's a quack. Yeah. Jim, Jim, <laughs> says, Jim says anybody in Japan would just be like blown away by that. <laughs> In a not pleasant way, either, that somebody would get a phone that sounded like a quack. Uh, it's, it's, funny. it's not something any Japanese would ever do <laughs> willingly. Mm. <laughs> mm. But I wanted mm. an animal sound, and it was, a, it was a sound. It was the only animal sound that I could really hear from a distance. That was the duck, and it sounded realistic, too, like a duck, which, which is Yeah, that yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Um, so what's the name of the business where you worked? Um, Furniture by Gotti, G-A-T-T-I. And he was a fine uh, furniture, antique restaurer like that, no, right? He, yeah, he did, but he makes new furniture. And he's still, he's in his mid-80s, and I'll tell you, he's better now. The distance between me and him then is the same now, <laughs> as good as I could be. He's that much better. It's just amazing. Wow. He's, he's blows me and Jim away. You know, he's gotten so much better, the stuff that he's made. And he, he does stuff that only he can do. And his daughter helps him. Nicole. Nicole was born when we were working there. Nicole, uh. his daughter. Now she's a finisher for his finisher. Ah. You know, and all his kids were born when we were there. <laughs> and mm. Ethan was born when I Ethan was born when I was working there too. Mm. Mm. So, but, mm. you know, I didn't, you, know was, didn't know there was such a thing as restoring and finishing and everything. Right, I got, right. I got to put into finishing because when I got there, Paul Rosenblum was still working there doing finishing, and then and he was oh. getting so I kind oh, of yeah. I took over from Paul Rosenblum. He showed me a lot of stuff about finishing, and then after Paul left, I I was put in the finishing department. You know, as opposed to doing woodwork, which is what I would have liked to have done. But I'm glad that I can do finishing because I'm one of a kind now. I'm the one one-eyed man in the kingdom of the blind. Uh huh. <laughs> That's what That's I call funny. it. Uh huh. Uh huh. So, um, uh, when you moved to Page Street, how was how was it practicing there then? Um, it was, you know, it was. I, I enjoyed it a lot. I, I I practiced hard. I went to all the sessions, and we had to get up in the morning, and then I, and and get, we made Gaddy's start. Our work started at seven fifteen because that's when. That was the earliest I could get there and still have do our two periods of zazen in the morning and have breakfast and then get ready to leave. And then, so we started at seven fifteen. That's when he still, he still starts at seven fifteen. Wow! Because of that, seven fifteen a.m. Wow! But I thought Pay Street was neat. I I really did. I, it was you know all the same people were there. And, and it was great. I liked it. There were like teachers would come and visit, and Suzuki Roshi was was he living there? Yeah, he had a, he had his room. Yeah, there. yeah, right above the uh, the, the the entrance. Yeah, well, 
What about yeah, the, right above uh, the entrance. What about his wife, though? Where did, she, where did she live? Yeah, they lived together. They had an apartment there. You mean in the same building? Yeah, at Page Street. Oh, Just the, look. Yeah, uh, okay. You go up on the second floor, yeah. go up the stairs, make a right, and it's straight ahead. There at the end of the hall, the uh, to the left was the larger room, the where he'd uh, give interviews, Dok San and uh, library, and just a little bit to the right was the entrance to their little tiny kitchen, and to the right of that back oh. they had a, a room or two. They had a whole apartment there. Yeah, okay. I somehow I just can't remember her there. I just can remember him there. Oh no, she was there. She was there. And she'd walk up, well, I have so many memories of her in the building later on. I mean, she lived there till like uh, 93. My brother had this very amusing dream that I'll never forget him. He, he, he was at his, in his dream, they were in Sokoji and, and Suzuki Roshi was sitting and Okusana was in there cleaning all the spaghetti sauce off the top of Suzuki Roshi's head. He said, you, you, you know, the way she was always doing, fiddle, fiddling around, doing things. And, and he said, he said, don't bother me when I'm doing Zazen. Zazen is paradise. <laughs> this is part of his dream. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. You don't have That's to do it. pretty that. good. Yes, but my brother had great, great dreams. I wonder if he remembers that dream. Ha <laughs> ha. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. So yeah. why did you decide to go to Japan? Uh, my brother got me to go because I couldn't stand the, the sh working at Gaddy's. And he said, work just leads to more work. And if you come here, you don't have to work so hard and we can combine our powers. And, and Carolyn wanted to go, too. So I went there by myself. And Jim had found us in a part. Jim and Sally Block, Sally, Sally Morton, that's his wife. They got married. Where did they get married? I can't remember. Oh, I remember where they got married. Okay, so anyway, but Sally, but Sally was there too with all of us too. By the way, her name yeah. was Sally Block then at that time, and and so where am I now? And this, this, what am I talking about? I can't remember. I asked why you went to Japan. How'd that come about? Oh, oh, because Jim talked me into into going. And I wanted, and I wanted to get out of the job. You know, it was it was so hard for me to leave Gaddy's. You can't imagine. You know, mm. I talked to somebody else. I talked to a, this guy from Texas, and he said, "I said this may astound you, but the only way I could quit my job is by going to Japan." He said, "No, I had to quit. The only way I could quit my job is by leaving Texas." His name was David Wynn, and he he had his own shop in San Francisco. Huh. And so it was really hard for me. You know, Gaddy didn't want me to leave, and I was, because I had learned everything. I was useful to him, and I was aware that I learned everything from him. And I was aware that once I left, there was he's going to have to get somebody else, you know, and he wanted me to stay. That was He always wanted people to stay, and it was just, it was so hard for, well, I don't know, it was hard for my brother, but it sure was hard for me. I just... I'm remembering now how hard it was for me to leave, even though, even though when people said, "What do you do?" I would start shaking like that because I couldn't stand working eight hours a day, year after year. 
You know, that, that work is, in, this work is really intense. And when people are putting one thing after another in front of you and you have to get creative, you have to do things really, really nicely too. It's, it takes a lot out of you. And, and you know what? We used to get paid $2 an hour. That was what my pay was. <laughs> that even made my parents laugh. <laughs> and Gaddy said, well, it takes the pressure off the apprentice. <laughs> wow. Wow. So you went to Kyoto, right? Yeah, I we went to Kyoto and to this place that I had found. And Carolyn was, you know, I said, it looks pretty good, you know. You know, it looks old, you know, like kind of a samurai, samurai movie. But it was so tiny. It was as big as our living room that we have now it was like tiny but it did have all these separate apartments in it separate rooms i mean it had two separate rooms and had what the kitchen was called an eel bed that's what they call them they were only about four feet wide and they went the length of the house from front to back and then there was and then and it was freezing you know there was no there was no heat and there still isn't central heat in japan that's why they have kotatsus and you have to I mean, Japan, you know what I said? You know, I came back after Japan, after the first time I went to Japan, I told people Japan was like Tassahara with motorcycles. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And, and that's I'll tell funny. You, it, it is, too. I mean, you can't see Japanese culture, at least, I don't know what it's like now, but in the 70s, Japanese culture and Zen training were... This, were unified. Yeah. They, they had the same ideals. You know, the police did zazen. The, you know, in high school, I taught in high school and they did meditation in the morning for about a minute. It wasn't very long, you know. And, um, and, and they just, the, the same things that were revered as part of Zen practice, so, so, so are the Japanese. Well, at least they mm. were them. Mm. So anyway, so uh, so that's why I went, and uh, you know, so we inhabited this really tiny little place, and then Carolyn was getting more and more pregnant, and and the the people were just so nice to us. The very first guests were Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> they couldn't speak uh-huh. English, but they came in with their you know, awake things, and it's all in Japanese, you know, and they were so nice, you know. And <laughs> They're uh, our, our first guests. Uh, that's funny. Jehovah's Witnesses. But I thought yeah. we were in Japan for three years before we came back. And um, it was quite an experience being there. You know, I, I would say between Tassahara and Japan, <laughs> what, what, a, what a developing experience those two things were. Yeah. Well, how did things progress when you got there? Uh, what what you you must have looked for a job or something. I got uh, a bunch of it. Jim Jim and Sally had lined up, and their friends had lined up a lot of English teaching jobs for me. Yeah. So all I had to do was start teaching, and the and the people didn't they liked it better, and I taught at a couple English schools. And he, they liked it that I couldn't speak Japanese because they said it preserves your, your freshness. 
you know, they, they would, the people that learned English would rather have learned from somebody that couldn't speak Japanese. Because they already, uh. the Japanese know, they learn to read English, they just can't speak it very well. That's so right. We were, we were, as teachers, we spoke English conversation. We were actually conversation teachers, so we, That's well, we right. actually were. That's right, yeah. We didn't teach them how to write or read, because they already could do no. that. Yeah. So our jobs are simple, you know, and I got, and then I started, I got a job at these different, these kind of cheapo, you know, there was a, there was a lot of uh, do-it-yourself, there, there was a lot of uh, English schools that people would start, because everybody wanted to learn English. There's Takara Gaikei, and this, these are not school, these are private school, private English schools, mm-hmm. and I, I got jobs teaching at these private schools. And then I also had a job at, I got eventually at Nishiko, where at this just Japanese high school where Jim was teaching. So um, I start, started teaching there too. And then I started teaching at Get Banks and taking this, you know, and, and they were all happy to, uh, they really liked, uh, you know, they were really nice. They were really nice to us. They were, they were really, really, really nice. Except the guy, except I got fired one time from a job. <clears throat> Why? Because I got fired because... Let's see. And we were on the radio. I mean, Carolyn and I were interviewed on the radio and everything like that. But he was enraged because I said I was going to come and pick up my check. And I was coming back from Osaka on my motorcycle, and it was cold. And I decided not to. I decided to go right directly home. And, and that made him so mad that I would, said I was coming and that I didn't come. That he drove all the way to my place with a, le- a letter of dismissal that night. I heard him putt, 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 you know, and he stuffed it in my mailbox. And then he went off and blew my mind. You know, I I don't think I've been fired from anything before. Well, nothing like that. Yeah, for a, re- for a reason like that. Oh, reason. That's great. And he said that's what he, what he didn't like about Americans is that he told me what he didn't like about Americans. He just said they just behave like slobs. They would just say something and not do it. And then... I didn't think much of it. And then in his mind, you know, I didn't go there because I didn't want to. I was tired from working all day and I was on my motorcycle. And I decided why would I, instead of going to my, there, but they had apparently been waiting for me. And so, yeah. and uh, I didn't show up, you know, so I got fired. You know, people may not understand it, but I bet Japanese would understand it. Yeah, but, I know, understand it. I understand looking it. Looking back on it, I can see where, you know, I did, like, put a lot of people out of joint by being late for things and not showing up. But this time, you know, this is a bit, this is a guy that owned his own business, so, had a business, so. Yeah. He he had to, he had to crack the whip, you know, and so, uh, so that's what happened. We never worked for anybody in Japan. We, we had, we worked for ourselves. We had our own, uh, in a sense, we had our own uh, English conversation school. Yeah, uh, I, know, I know. But if you work for a Japanese business, it's a, it's a little bit different. Yeah, you, you get paid a lot less for one thing. 
you get paid a lot less. Well, you get paid a lot <laughs> less if you work for a, for a, what's that English school at uh, Berlitz. Berlitz didn't pay. You know, Joe jo, uh, Jerome went there and he got paid shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, probably like the equivalent of six dollars and fifty cents an hour. Meanwhile, we were making thirty dollars an hour on our own. Yeah, right, right, right. And, and when I was there, it was later when the when the yen was very high. I mean, we were making a hundred dollars an hour and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, Jim, was, <laughs> Jim, Jim, and Sally were just piling it up. They made yeah. so much money because of that. You were there teaching English. Were you involved with uh, any Zen there? Yeah, I sat at um, on Taiji. Wow, we how were, was that? Taiji was just—it was tough, man. Let me tell you about it. I'll, I'll tell you about it in a second. You know, because we were just down the hill from them, and they were up the hill. You know, that was that that area of Japan was called. Um, I can't remember. Uh, the name will come back to me. Kitaku. Kanto. Kitaku. Oh, go on. Kitaku is north. You know, it's north something. But that's where actually Antaiji was in Kitaku, same as our uh -huh. So we would, I would go up there and sit in the morning, and they were tough nuts. And um, you know, it was cold and it was hard. And they would sit for fifty minutes, and they never did any chanting there. They had the idea from Uchiyama Roshi that um, that chanting was kind of a, a way of distracting your mind so there would be yeah. no chanting and dick baker doesn't wasn't wasn't very approving of it and then i had something happen to me that i kind of like talking about but it was it's the only time that almost the only time in my life i've ever been slapped like really hard and now when i was sitting i was in a session and my nose was making noise it was whistling and um it got the guy Made them and made. Um, I can't remember. Jim would know his name, but I can't remember. It was, one of, it was the head teacher, not not Uchiyamaroshi. I never met Uchiyamaroshi, but it's his place. And um, and he he had me come out outside, and then he 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 put his hand way back, and then he and then he went like about ninety degrees, one hundred and eighty degrees, and then he whacked me on the on the on the cheek, and he said that noise is not zazen. And then somebody translated for me, one of the right for him. I mean, right away, you know, one of the foreigners there. And uh, yeah. you know, this astounds people, but but for me, the first thing that went through my mind is what a cool story this is going to make. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And you know, <laughs> you know, it didn't hurt. It, it didn't hurt. I was so cold. All it did was kind of brought a feeling of warmth to my face. Uh, it was like it's like being hit by a Kiyosaku. But yeah. people don't people don't take it that way. You know, I talked to this guy. We had a teacher named Lee, and he would had an expression of horror on his face when I could because he was listening. You know, because people don't understand in the United States. I don't know what they don't understand about. But anyway, this is the way Japanese are. This would this would not be an unusual thing in Japan. Yeah. You know, and I took, and then when I was in Japan, I took kendo for. I took kendo a lot too. I started there. I did it for three years there, and I did it for ten years in America. That's uh, that kendo was the way of the sword. And um, 
this didn't happen to me, but um, I know that you know the the Japanese are really tough on each other. They drag each other around. It's like hazing. You know, not, not, but it wouldn't happen in America. It couldn't happen in America, but I bet it would happen in England. I, I felt like England was quite similar to Japan in a lot of ways. Yeah. Sense of humor and, and structured life. You know, I, you know more, more similar to England. Is, Japan is more similar to England than it ever was to America. Yeah. Yeah. Island imperial countries. Maybe, yeah. But I, I thought yeah. that this was... It was hard, you know. The sessions there, you're so cold, and um, and the sittings were 50 minutes long. And then we had keening after that. It was it was really hard to do. It happens in other countries like England, and and uh, you know because I'm watching the Crown right now, and where they go to uh, these the, the kids are recounting this. Uh, yeah, instead of diverging to, diverging to that, the people had. In boarding schools in England, they did have, they were struck by teachers, you know, and they got their hands slapped and everything. Well, anyway, anyway, Japan is like that, probably still is. Yeah, they, and they both have long histories, very old histories. But I, I was surprised that Americans, that, well, then I also sat, now, Taiji sold their land for a real lot of money, and they moved up north. I never did see where they moved to, so... This is shortly before I left Japan, so I started sitting at Daitokuji at then, and that that wasn't too far away either. Yeah. And Kabori Kabori Sensei, uh, I think that was his name, was our was my teacher then, and that was a Rinzai. Uh, and so uh, right. he had us working on koans. So that was the only koan I've ever done in my life. Hmm. What it's koan was he made it? Up. He says, "He said where the koan was. Where does the breath come from?" Ah, uh, ah. Uh, and the only thing uh. when it started working is, I said, "I don't remember." You know, I don't remember what I said, but I said something really loud. It just kind of thundered out of my stomach. He said, "Okay," and then he changed it to. He 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 evolved the uh, I call it a koan because what else would it be you know but after he evolved it uh, he it, my koan evolved but at that time uh, Carolyn was leaving because well it's hard to talk about really but you see our uh, Ethan is uh, our son and he. He's developmentally disabled, and we didn't know that until about three years into living in Japan, maybe two years. And I went to, so our 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 house is owned by a Yochien. Yochien is a nursery means nursery school. I don't know what it means, but it's it was the it's a nursery school yeah, right. anywhere in Japan. And we were on the Yochien property. They owned our house. You know, I forgot about that, by the way. To, to, to that's because that's kind of important, you know. And so. Ethan was going to school there, so they, so what they didn't understand what could be wrong with him because the because because a lot of the kids, foreign kids, would act kind of strange because they couldn't speak any of the language. But when I went to see him, I could see right away that there was something psychologically really wrong with him. You know, he's, he didn't look very good at all. He looked really horrible, and um, and and. Uh, 
I could see there was more to it than just him not knowing the language. So we went to this, you know, we found this place, this 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 Mrs. Yoda, and I don't remember her, the the teacher was American, but the Japanese assistant was uh, Jap. Well, the, her assistant was Japanese, and they were social workers, and they worked with us, you know, and and so so um so. It was decided that Ethan should have be tested in the United States, and um, so Carolyn and Ethan went back before, and I stayed there for another couple of weeks trying to wrap things up. And and meanwhile, I was going to this session mm. in Itokuji, you know. And then when it was finally time for me to leave, I just had to leave. I think I even had to leave in the middle of session. So, so, so there, oh. you know. They were all like foreigners in the in the session. These are like, I just remember foreigners, you know, from other countries, not ja- non-Japanese people. And and uh, Taiji had right, a lot of foreigners right. there too, but they seemed to be able to speak Japanese, though. They were there for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Incidentally, children who, uh, you know, go to... Uh, Nursery school and kindergarten and everything in Japan, they learn Japanese oh, they? really quick. Yeah, from each other. Oh yeah, children learn language so quick it's not understood how they learn it. Well, so I taught quick. one of my English classes uh, was um, for for Mrs. Wakisaka was all preschool kids, and they and I developed my own te- techniques for teaching English. I called it action English, and I would fall down on the floor, and I'd have everybody else fall down. They thought it was the funniest thing, and the the teacher was tape was was making a video of me, and and the kids could speak when they learned a word, they spoke it with no accent, just like an American. It was amazing, like like kids that are two and three yeah. years old, they would just say the word like I would say it. English, the English word. Yeah. That's really interesting. It's really interesting. Yeah. Hmm. 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 Now, all right. So you're doing kendo. You said you did yeah. kendo there too. Uh, and you're you were you were sitting at Antaiji and later at Daitokuji with Kobori, who many people from America who've been over there study oh, with. Oh, I see. And uh, but. But you also got involved with uh, the Urushi, the, yeah, uh, the, the lacquer. That was much How did that, that come was about? Like a, a year before, I had been doing that for about a year before we left. Oh, because I saw. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, I saw these most amazing things, and and the, and uh, out out of lacquer work, and and Jim knew what it was, and they knew people that were considered national treasures. By in Japan, Japan, and so I was. I went and I met met at least one of them, and he was a lacquer artist. And I was thinking, well, because I knew I was going to eventually go back to the United States, and maybe why don't I learn restoration from at Kyoto University or or um, Kyoto Museum? But I didn't, you know, because because I I just wanted to keep making money, and I learned, you know, I bought some tools, and I. Was going to the and and I went to this in, industrial art school in downtown Kyoto, and that's where I started learning about. That's where I learned the oh. Ibushi from, not from one guy. 
That was oh, a teacher oh. and then a teaching assistant. And then I, then I went, this is because my Japanese was improving all the time. I, I, I learned, uh, I went to, to take classes in Takamakie, which is like raised Urushi painting. And, and then I also started oh. doing a calligraphy and I found the guy that, um, um, I, Jim studied with for years. Um, I just went to a few classes of his. So I was doing, I was doing all kinds of stuff. You know, I was doing a Rushi and I, and I was doing, um, not, a, not really at the same time, I don't think. And then I, and I did, uh, sh- uh, Shodo, which is calligraphy from this very famous yeah. guy that Jim can tell you about. And, um, well, his name was Morita Shuyu, Morita Shuyu, Shuyu. So, you know, mm. I, did, I did a lot of stuff there in different times, you know, because yeah. the thing is that you don't have to work all the time like you do in the United States, which is why I went to Japan anyway. All you have to do is, there were foreigners that they would work like one hour a week. <laughs> I know. You know, so I had a lot of time and I had a lot of energy in Japan and we were both quite young. I didn't feel young anymore at that time, but I was. And, um, you know, in our, we were in our thirties, so we had a real lot of energy. I mean, I never got tired or anything then. So I could, I could yeah. do all that stuff. Yeah. I thought it was a great experience for me. And, and it also, like, I could use my Japanese too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that came about naturally. Hey, uh, you. Uh, one thing about Kyoto that I remember is that it gets very cold in the winter and very hot in the summer. It's like yeah. in a bowl, yeah. and it, it's the heat doesn't escape well. And uh, uh, so I always found Kyoto is best to go in the fall or the spring there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Our, our place was just amazing. It's so it is so hot in the summer and it's so miserable in the winter time. Yeah. Well, you can see how you can see how you know that's how Zen Zen developed that way. And you know people people were yeah bare feet with little straw sandals in the winter time. And they still they for all I know they still practice that way when they're doing uh, they're doing their begging practice. Which I can't remember the name escapes me. Takuhatsu. Takuhatsu. They just they right. tie these. Right. Oh, I forgot to tell you that I also um, we used to go to uh, Hoshinji. It was in uh, Hong oh, yeah. Hoshi was our was our teacher, and. Uh, now there's two Harada Roshi teachers in, yeah, in uh, Obama, <laughs> but Hoshin Hoshinji is Seiki Seiki Harada. Wow, yeah. you sat and with I him. Had books there, and I did a lot of a uh, bunch of sessions there. And um, Peter Schneider was there, and Jane Westberg oh. would go there, and Jim would go there. And uh, they had a, you know, they had American monks there, and they would do all the translating for um, mm. during uh, Doksan. And uh, that was a little easier than Antaiji. Antaiji was just really rough. It was like, Antaiji was like Japanese kendo. <clears throat> and, you know, they were, uh, you know they, somebody could, you know, just to have somebody slap you, for example. But, you know, I was into it. 
really. You know, I, th- I thought that was cool. I was like part of Japanese, Japanese. I was having uh-huh. a real Japanese experience. You know, and I, I didn't understand where where Americans would go and they would flip out because they would be hit by the Kiyosaku. I mean, why even go to a country if you're not if you're if you're going to take that attitude? When when uh, Katrinka and I we went and spent ten weeks in Japan uh, eight years ago uh, before we uh, settled in here yeah. in Bali and uh, went back to Sogenji in Okayama and stayed there a few days and they're not hitting people with the stick who are guests. Uh-huh. Uh, I think I think uh, she said unless they ask for it, oh, uh, but they've softened up a lot there uh uh-huh. and you know the tradition in rinzai has so much violence in it teaching related violence physical endurance is big there and they would they would hit you you know you sit facing in not you don't face the wall you face the opposite and they come up and they look at you right. really closely holding the stick up they see, if they think you're, if they see that you're not focused in a way that they, then they touch you with a stick. Right. And bend way down forward. And when they hit you with a stick, they lay it over your whole back. And it would, I'll tell you, it just, it, it knocked the breath out of me and immediately perspiration came to my forehead, like in an instant. <laughs> it was, and they hit yeah. you on both shoulders, of course. But it was really a, it was a different experience than just being hit in a in a regular, you know, by the Kiyosaku at Zen Center. Yeah, which, yeah, you know, there is no Kiyosaku at Zen Center anymore. I know, I know, I know. Went out a long time ago. Went out pretty much in America. I don't know where they use it. They might in some places. So then you uh, you came back to America. What what years were you in Japan? We came back. Uh, we were there seventy five through seventy eight. Yeah. And 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 what did you do when you came uh, back? I immediately first I thought I was teach English, but I didn't want to teach. I, you know I needed to do something that made money, and I, this was something I could do. And I just started doing what I'm doing now, and I got a shop space on Folsom and Eighth Street in San Francisco. And, uh, and I didn't have any trouble oh, yeah. attracting customers at all, and I had, you know, and I had a lot of good, you know, very very good contacts, and also people were interested in me because I could still speak Japanese to some extent, and you know, and I, I you know, and I was sort mm. of like had the Japanese experience, and I knew a lot of, I knew an awful lot of about fixing things and restoring things and finishing things. Dave? So, uh, you've sort of come full circle there. You came back uh, and you started doing that work then, and you've, uh, you've been doing it ever since. Yeah. Uh, uh, what, what, about, uh, what about Zen practice? Uh, did you, what did you do about that when you came uh, back? I tried, I tried to do as much as I could. With whom? We sat at Page Street a lot, um, a, a, as long as I... Yeah. 
Well, we lived in San Francisco for a long time, and even after we moved to Sausalito, um, I used to come over and do sessions at, at Page Street. And I don't really uh, know why yeah. I stopped doing it. I just it's just kind of tapered off somehow. I don't know why, but yeah, but it did, you know. Oh, oh, I know, I know what happened is when Steve Stuckey, because Carolyn was sitting with Steve. Did you go to Green Gulch much? You... Oh yeah, and, and I went to Green, Green yeah. Gulch. We we would go on Sundays, and I did session. I did as many sessions as yeah. I could, and still maintain a business. And um, you know, and yeah. then I then we then when Steve started, you know, I ran into Steve Stuckey when I was going to Goodman's, but at a heart big this building supply store, and I had seen it before. Right, and he just kind of I didn't, and then I I he said, well, we do have a sitting place, but then. As Carolyn started sitting with him, and she really liked the group. It reminded her of Sokoji when it was small and, and more mm. informal. And um, and uh, so we just start, I started sitting there, and I had I had just finished a Ryohatsu session at Zen Center, and I went over to pick Carolyn up, and she told Steve, he just did a Ryohatsu session, and Steve said, oh, well, then you should do one here, because theirs was, theirs was just starting. <laughs> he wanted, he was trying to talk me into doing yeah. two, but I didn't want to do two. One, one after, back-to-back, back, I mean, but that was his idea. So I started sitting yeah. there, and uh, we started reading out of Suzuki Roshi's book, and it was great. It was nice, you know, I did it, and I, you know, just little by little, I stopped, and then his and then we still did sessions, but it was it was a little harder for me to physically sit, and and the job my my jobs were demanding, and I didn't want to give up so much time. But I really miss, I really miss those yeah. sessions, you know. Those, now Carol Paul is going to be sitting in Berkeley in a little while. She su- she suggested I could sit with them on Zoom, so I'll think I'll try a day. But uh, it's hard, painful to sit now, though, because my leg, my knees hurt normally. Um, but I can sit in a regular, you know, Indian style, though. We had to stop here for a minute because a woman came to the door and wanted to know if Rick could help her fix a lampshade. And he said no, he couldn't. Spent a little time telling her uh, where to go. She's got other stuff for me. I'm in a really good spot here. It's a beautiful location uh, that anybody wants to come to Sausalito should visit me here. And takes, uh, you know, they can come to a life drawing on Sunday too if they want. Yeah. But if you're in a park, where else are you going to let, are they going to let you spray lacquer in the middle of a park? They're, you know, I've been here so long. They're, they're very, <laughs> the city is very supportive to me, too. I'm the longest-lasting person here. This is like my life. Yeah, I've been here since I've been here since 1992. Everybody else comes and goes. It's uh, just that I have an odd life. I'm just an uh, odd, odd duck. That's what I am. I started Zaza. started Zaza in '65. <laughs> I'm still doing it. You know. I, Still married to the same person, still doing the same job. Huh. Mm. Kind of weird. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're you're very stable. You're yeah, very I, I'm stable. not really stable. Well, but uh, I am. I am very. In that way, I am kind of stable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it's. Uh, is there anything you'd like to conclude with? Anything we haven't uh, touched on you'd like to mention? Gee, I don't know. I'm sure that there is. Uh, yeah, I can conclude with the fact that um, I've never been able to replace Suzuki and Katagiri with uh, some other teacher. Uh, you know, maybe if I was in Japan, I, I would have liked... Um, Harada Roshi. I did like Harada Roshi, but I, I've never found the same. And, and there are, I've read things by other Americans that I liked, but but I've never met that met the Americans. I Joko Beck, I liked um, the, what she wrote, but I I've never found anybody to replace Suzuki Roshi and Katagiri and that experience I had. And I don't I don't feel that yeah. no teacher yeah. has their stature. You know, they're they're mm. they're all kind of versions of us. As, you know, they're kind of like our. I feel like everybody else is sort of my contemporaries, even if it's not true. They were they were we started out together, but those guys were different. They you know they came from another country, they had a totally different perspective, and they started when they were kids, and they were yeah. very inspirational. If if only they had died yeah. so young. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. thought Hiroshi was a, a little old man when I met him. He's like was younger than I am now, way younger. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, he when he died, he was eleven years younger than you are now. Yeah, I thought he was ancient when I met him when I was a kid in my twenties. I thought he was yeah. kind of a feeble old guy. <laughs> But he wasn't feeble. At all. He had a he had a lot of energy and strength, and you know he used to go on uh, treks with us at Tassajara and slide down the mud and stuff. He had great balance, you know. He was he just had a he had a lot of physical power energy. But yeah, I don't, it's not a really a yeah. great way to end. But it's just that I'm I'm you know if I could if I could get back to that period i would love to go back you know mm. Mm. yeah and it does it does make me wish that i could have mm. stayed longer you know i i told suzuki roshi mm. I, I had um i would like to be a monk i didn't really want to be a monk though but i said but i but i do have an er, uh, i would like i have i would like to i'm kind of inspired to want to be a monk he said well if you're lucky you can be a monk <laughs> after you after you get married and have a family, or during that time, he said, "Look at me." I, he said, uh, "He said it's very complicated, but I've worked it out. You know, having a family and children and a, and a wife and everything." Mm-hmm. He found his coming out of yeah. that. So, yeah. So I, I I feel like now, um, what I realized yesterday in Zazen, <laughs> that's fitting. That's been helping me is that everything is energy. Mm. Now, if you think everything is energy, which it is, even distracted energy, it's just energy, and, and you shouldn't think that you have to simplify your life so that you can practice. You can practice right now. I mean, you know, simplifying your life helps, but it's not, 
there's no pr- really, really. I don't think there's a prerequisite to have to practice. You just need to want to do it. Yeah, yeah. If you if your mind is spinning out of control, then your that's your practice. Your mind is spinning out of control. I mean, that's the state of your energy. Yeah. These, these are just all energy states. That's what Dzogchen tries to teach. You know, that's the Tibetan version of Zen. Yeah. I'd, I'd say that Suzuki uh, said very much the same thing you just said. It, um, in fact, I was just dealing with a lecture of his where uh, he said, uh, you know, you, you, you have this idea of you, you want to come to a calm place where nothing's distracting you. He said, if, if you want to find real calmness, uh, be in a noisy place. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, he said, I, we were reading out of his book yesterday because we, have, the, the, we uh, have a Zoom on Monday for MZM. And You're talking about Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. And he's talking about um, gaining enlightenment before you're enlightened. Yeah, and it, and it kind of made up. It made sense to me, you know, in a in a in a, in a strange way that I can't explain. It, it seems so true, um, like like what we're talking about. You know, you 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 practice with what you have. Christine agreed with this too. That zazen is easy because all you do is you practice with what comes up. Yeah. You don't have to make your mind a certain way. You don't have to stop thinking. You don't have to be a good person. Forget that. And um, <laughs> you know, because you know, because just, just forget it. Believe me, <laughs> you're not going to be a good person. You, you can be a better person than you are, but you're never going to. I find, um, you know, and events seem to support this too, but, mm. you know, I just feel like I, I'm understanding this a lot more that everything's on just a level of energy and at, at, at a level of energy, you work with it as energy, distracted mm. mind, distracted mind. You sit, when you sit, you let your mind be distracted. You let, yeah. You, I mean. In a way, I mean, you could you could say no, you're just daydreaming and stuff like that. But I'm I'm not talking about daydreaming and being unaware. I'm just talking about being aware of your state of mind, or aware of what comes up when you're sitting, and that, and, and also what comes up when you're not sitting too. Yeah. Well, that's very impressive. I agree. Um, anyway, I, it's something that I can understand now better than I for some reason. I understand it now, and I couldn't before, and I don't know why. But um, it's one of the bona. It's one of the benefits of getting old, I think. Yeah. Yes. There's various ones. Uh, I mean, there are there are benefits to being old. There there are there's reasons why you can have a peace of mind as an older person. Yeah. Because as a younger person, you're always after something. Yeah. You know, like I wanted to start my business, and then I wanted to be good. Then I wanted to be the best, the best. I was sure I was the best, and I wanted to be the best, and I wanted people to think of, you know, all of that stuff is not, that's an overlay that kind of interferes with your, you know, if you don't have that, then I think your sitting is a little, is different. Yeah. You can just, you just appreciate 
the energy state of things. Yeah. Mm. Listen, I really enjoyed this, Dave. It's meant a lot to me. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, and um, yeah, if hey, listen, uh, if things occur to you, oh, I should have said so and so. Just write them down. Send me an email. Yeah. Well, how long it takes to get here from Indonesia? It's got to go halfway uh, around. Well, yeah, it depends on what way. Let's see. The quickest is probably to fly from here to Singapore, and you know, uh, then which is two, three hour, three hours, two and a half hours, and then Singapore to uh, San Francisco, uh, probably about sixteen hours or something. Wow, that's a bit of a yeah. I've never been back. Oh, you haven't? No. Well, at least you can get your teeth teeth done cheap there. Um, dental work. Yeah, yeah, dental work here is very good. I've had dental work done in Thailand, Japan. I do not recommend Japan. Uh, no, no, nobody does, including Jim. Yeah. Oh, they're crazy. Uh, you go, you yeah. go to, people would go to a dentist there, you know, 15 times to get something. You've done one visit in America. Uh, it's very strange. Well, I don't know about now. I mean, I lived there 30 years ago. Um, here, let's yeah. see. Um, some things are comparable here, like Katrinka got implants. And that was expensive. They cost like almost $1,000 each. Um, that well, was what, like America. That's what they charge, no, that's what they charge in Mexico. Yeah. And, and now the, the cheapest and best is probably India. I really got good dental work done in India. Wow. Oh, really? And, and you know, the thing about going to these places, uh, they have new equipment. America has a lot of old equipment. The last thing you want is old x-ray machines. You want digital x-rays. I had a dentist in Chennai, in India, who had digital x-rays. It would charge, uh, you know, uh, $10 uh to about the equivalent of ten dollars to clean my teeth and everything, and twenty-five. Uh, to, maybe it was ten dollars to fill a cavity, and God, I got, I got a crown for like twenty-five or something. I can't quite remember. I got here. I got um, bridges, and on each side, and five crowns for about uh, fourteen. Fifteen hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. So you know it's not free. Uh, no, it's, it, that that's more like Mexico. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, what it, you're talking about is on that's so low India. I mean, I would. It's almost worth going to India if, if you can get those kind of. Well, I with good I have a really good friend in in Rajasthan, and I got hold of him mm-hmm. about uh, a trinket going there. Thing is, the flight there and back and staying there was so much difficulty, but the prices were much better and they're high quality. And another reason, and this is really important, is that uh, it's better to do it where you live because uh, you definitely need follow up. And uh, so to really do it well in one place, you have to be there a while. And mm, better to do it where you live, I think. 
Uh, Amer America's gotten into this capitalist trap, and it's natural. It happens. It happens in anywhere. Uh, you know, the rich getting richer, and the prices going up, up, up. And uh, the, yeah. the, you know, whatever company it is, their only goal is to make more and more money. So everything gets more and more expensive. Uh, it was so much easier in America when I was growing up. Oh my God. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, uh, poor people could own homes and things were more accessible. Mm -hmm. uh, but those things oh, tend yeah. to be cyclical. But I don't know now. I think I think that the uh, cyclical might be running into a brick wall. Uh, so uh, yeah. we'll see. Um, anyway, a lot of things here are much cheaper. That <laughs> well, labor incredibly, and uh, yeah, somebody who does what you do, uh, you pay you know like fourteen dollars a day or something. Well, I guess I won't go there looking for. I won't go there looking for customers then. Yeah, uh, but see, that's if if you're hiring them to do stuff in your home. But if if you were making things in a shop, there's so many craftsmen here. My God, doing so many things. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, you could make more by you know selling things. You know, not charging for labor, yeah. charging yeah. for uh, mm -hmm. you know the job or something. But. Um, I pay people what they ask, you know, and that's mm -hmm. pretty much fourteen dollars a day. Uh, and that's electrician, carpenters, uh, uh, rent. The rents uh, can be much cheaper. It's just more affordable, you know. Anyway, uh, yeah. Well, it's been really good talking with you. Yeah, you think of anything? Yeah, just write it down. Send me tons of emails with. You know, just you don't have to say everything at once. Just one little thought, you know, send it, and I'll collect them. Well, very good. A pleasure speaking with you. That's really interesting stuff. Uh, well, thanks a lot, Dave. Thanks for calling me. And um, and when I yeah, when I when I think about something, yeah. Well, he says he could have done. He's not happy with what he said. Really, He's, he would yeah. have liked to have said something said it differently. Well, I, I, we agreed I'd call him later, like in a month or something, and, and do another one. Yeah. Okay. So he'll have another chance. What he said was great. was most interesting. And since Jim's podcast has been up, he's listened to it and says, oh, well, that's not so bad. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think, what, I think what he says is really interesting. Sure. Jim talks about his experiences, but, you know, Carolyn's are completely mind-blowing. Well, I'm going to talk to her tomorrow. Not that, not that she'll get her to talk about them, but she, she's, she has had really profoundly. Yeah, no, she's, she's, Carolyn's got a good base Yeah. Of, in spirituality. Yeah, well, she can talk about what she wants. I, I don't, you know, I let people talk about what they want. So I'll, I'm like, calling uh, her tomorrow at seven. Yeah. Uh, what yeah. seven in the evening? Yeah. In morning, in the evening. Evening. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Reminder. <laughs> okay. I will. I All will. right. Take care. Nice talking. To you. Good you talking too. to you. All right. Bye. 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 Bye.
So thank you very much, Rick. That was good. Appreciate it. And uh, when I need to uh, have something uh, refinished uh, or restored, uh, that is the sort of thing you do, I will get hold of you immediately and uh, fly you here to Bali and let you do it. Or I'll ship it to you there, and you can ship it back. Okay. This has been a Cuke Audio Podcast. I'm D.C. Pooba of Cuke Audio and Cuke Archives, coming to you from Sleepy Sonor with Dogget Bandita, Feline Cuchita, and dear lovely Katrinka. And we're wishing you and yours and all of us a grand awakening. Thank you.